<laughs> All right. Well, look, welcome, welcome, welcome. My wife and I grew up in Wilson, well, around this area. I grew up in Wilson. She grew up in Johnson County. So we're Carolina, born and bred, man. We love North Carolina. I went to UNC Wonderful, I mean, UNCW. And I uh, graduated, then spent three years in Brazil church planning. And uh, man, just started just to learn, just to learn that God has a big heart. He's got a big heart and he cares about the world. So I learned that and then I came back after three years and realized I didn't go to seminary, didn't really know what I was doing. And so I went to seminary that brought April and I to Dallas. We ended up in Dallas for almost seven years. And then the church we were part of, C3 Trinity, sent us back to North Carolina. We, we were coming, but we were fortunate that they sent us. We started, having, we started having babies, and I was like, I need my mom. Man, hey, this is hard work. I ain't trying to do this on my own. Goodness, need some parents and some help. And I wanted my girls to get to grow up near, near my parents and their grandparents, you know, and April's parents. And so that brought us back to Raleigh. But while we were in Dallas, we started researching the city of Raleigh, and the Raleigh I left is not the Raleigh I returned to. Oh, my goodness, this city has just blown up and expanded in ways that just it's kind of blown my mind. But so we're here. And, you know, we're here because there's two things I'm convinced of. The world is big. There's 7.1 billion people. The world is big, and the world is lost. Out of that, maybe 1 billion people know the Lord. Out of that. So I'm convinced that the world's big and the world's lost, and that's why we're planting a church in Raleigh. For every one church that gets planted in a year in North America, four close their door. And that just breaks my heart. So it's like, hey, we may not be the best, we may not be the wisest, but we are crazy enough to obey the Lord and to give it a go. So that's what we're doing today. We're launching this church, and we're doing it with the end in mind. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. I'm going to read it to you. It'll be up behind me. This is why we're planting this church. The Lord spoke this to me when we were praying through trying to figure out what this church should look like and how we should do church and what our vision is and all that. And this is the verse the Lord gave me. Matthew 5, verse 14, it's found in the New Testament. Here we go. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This verse, like this is us. This is what we were made to do. Once we become alive in Jesus, we've got the light of the world inside of us. And our goal, our mandate, what we are made to do with our life is to shine that light everywhere we go. But what I found out, that's not reality. Reality is, is that if we do go to church, we'll take it one hour a week, maybe once a month. I don't know, maybe Christmas and Easter, maybe once a decade, maybe when we get married and when we get buried. But we'll just take it, and that's when we shine our light at church once a week, maybe. But that's not what the Scripture says that we were made to do. What we were made to do is once we've got a light, once our candle's been lit, you put that thing on a stand, and you just let it shine everywhere it goes. You don't hide it under a basket. You don't hide it. You put it on a stand so that the world can be lit. That's what we're called to do. So our goal here at C3 City Light is that everywhere we go and everything we do, that while we're doing it, whether that's where we work, live, play, study, eat, whatever, everything we do, we're shining the light of God. We've got a reason 
of why we've got the light of the world. And so that when people see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about us. It's not about our life. But if we're not careful, everything we see in the media, everything we have taught through school, it's about you. You got to get yours. You got to get yours. You got to take care of yourself. You got to make plans. And it's about mine, 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 mine. I've got a two and a half year old, so I watch a lot of Finding Nemo. And it's like those seagulls mine, 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 mine. Anybody ever seen that movie? All right. Yeah, man, it's like that. We become like that, focused on ourselves. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? But when we live that, we live a really small life. But when we learn to give our life to others, to helping others, our life outlives ourself. It outlives us, man. There's other people that get it, that get the vision, that are full of generosity, full of light of God, and the light just keeps on going. So that's what God's called us to do. And our vision for this city is until all are awakened to the light and the love of Jesus. We don't need more churches in Raleigh. We don't need more stuffy religious people in Raleigh telling everybody they're going to hell. We don't need more of that. What we need in Raleigh is more Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, he's so attractive, he's so kind. We see the goodness of God through Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, we become awakened to his love for us. That when we were dead in our sins, going nowhere, being nobody, he loved us and he saved us. And he brought us into a relationship with God. And when we are awakened to that love, we become awakened to his light, his guidance, his purpose, why we were put here on this planet. What's that old corny saying? The two, important, two most important days of your life is when you um, find out why you were made and then start doing it. The day you were born and then the, reason, and then the day you found out why you were made. I butchered it, but you get the point. It's all about our purpose. When we begin to figure out our purpose, things become alive. Things become alive. But here's the thing about this verse. I didn't come here to talk about this verse. I didn't. Now, we're going to live this verse, and we've got a strategy as a church that we can live this verse. There's three things as a church that we want to do as well as we can. We want to be Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. If the Lord doesn't show up, this is pointless. The Lord doesn't show up in our life. This is pointless. It's just some dead religious act. We need the Lord to show up. But so we're Christ-centered. We're spirit-empowered. God gave us a third of the Trinity living inside of us when we become a believer to help us follow him. So we're connect-driven. We're spirit-empowered. Or excuse me, we're Christ-centered. We're spirit-empowered. And we are connect-driven. Life is terrible when we live it alone. That old saying is, I learned it from a football coach. I did some work as a chaplain at SMU for four seasons, and that coach would always say when he was recruiting, you show me your three closest friends, and I'll show you where you're going to be at in five years. The people we surround ourselves matters. And so at City Light, we don't want to do life alone. We want to surround ourselves with people that are going to help us walk and follow Jesus. And so we're all about the dinner table. We're all about the dinner table. So as we're trying to accomplish these three things, we'll do it by coming to church on Sunday morning, having a dinner party throughout the week, and then serving all throughout the city doing service projects that people would see our good works and they would glorify our Father in heaven. So that's what we're about here. But there's only one way to accomplish this, and it's not through good works. It's not through just trying hard and striving and hoping that we can just do good enough. If you do that, you will end up hating the Lord. 
I know that sounds strong, but trust me, I've lived this. This has been my story. If you look at the five major religions in the world, all of them, except for Christianity, try to do something. Okay? And I know the day we're talking about not religious, neither are we. And you're probably wondering, what does that mean? I'm going to explain it. But if you look at the five major religions in the world, they all say, if you do these good things, if you pray these many times a day, if you make this pilgrimage to Mecca, if you do these things and do these things and try really hard, try really hard, maybe, just maybe, you can climb the spiritual ladder and get to God or get to that deity. That's every religion in the world except for Christianity. Christianity doesn't say do, 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 and get to this place. It says God loved you so much he knew you couldn't do it, so he sent Jesus to reach you where you're at. And that's what we're about. We're not about a religion trying to do these things to earn the favor of God, to get God to like us, so maybe, maybe we can just slip into heaven. No, that's not how it works. The last five years I've spent on on college campuses, having these conversations weekly. Well, tell me, what do you think, what do you believe in God? What do you believe in afterlife? What do you think? And one of the most common answers is this right here. Well, I believe that God is a good God. And I believe that if I am a good person doing good things, that a good God wants send a good person to a bad place. A good God would send a good person to a good place, heaven. And that I hate that because it's all about us trying to work, trying to be good, trying to do good things to get God's favor. And it's not that with Christianity. It's about this relationship. God knew that we couldn't work hard enough to get to him, so he sent his son, his son to do the heavy lifting for us. And that's why at City Light, we don't say we're religious. We're not about being religious. We're about having a relationship with our creator, and we know him because of his son, Jesus. A few years ago, I had the privilege in Dallas. One of my roles there was I was the missions pastor, and there was this guy, I think he was 70 or 75 years old. We had been partnering with him for years. His name is Roger Walcott, and he started, he was a missionary in Mexico for like 50 plus years. This guy was old, but he was fiery. You talked to him, you felt like you were talking to a 20-year-old just fired up, full of life. He had been a widow. His wife died probably 10 years ago. Great guy. And I'd help him out when he'd come in town every couple years. But there was just one year he needed help with his visa and with his passport and all this stuff. So I was helping him, driving around, just running errands for him. And in the middle of it, he had a medical emergency. He's like, get me to the ER. Get me to the closest ER. So okay. So the next thing you know, fast forward, I've been with this guy for about eight hours. It's late in the night, and we're at the ER. And he's okay, but he's waiting to get released. They fixed the problem and all that stuff. And so I'm sitting in the, way, in the hospital room with this guy thinking, when am I going to have this opportunity again to talk to a guy that's been in ministry for over 50 years? So I was like, hmm, what would be a good question? I'm going to take advantage of this moment. And so I asked him, Pastor Roger, just quick question for you. What's been the key to your longevity in ministry? Man, I want to be the same way as you, that I've been in ministry for 50 years, serving you faithfully and changing the world. I mean, this guy planted one church in Mexico. Fast forward 50 years, it's over 250-some churches as far as the Ukraine. This guy was doing something. I was like, man, I want to look back on my life and be like, I did something, right? Now, what's the key to longevity? So he kind of pulled up his glasses, pushed them up on his nose, and he looked at me, thought about it for only five seconds, real quick, looked at me, and he says, Stuart, it's this simple. Fall in love with Jesus every day. Don't worry about all the other stuff. 
But if you'll fall in love with Jesus every day, you'll fall in love with his word because it helps you know him more. You'll fall in love with his bride, the church. You'll fall in love with your purpose because he gave it to you. All you have to do, Stuart, is fall in love with Jesus every day. And I'm telling you, that proved true in my life. We will serve Jesus better on accident by simply falling in love with them every day than we ever will by trying to keep the rules and the law and all this. Just simply fall in love with them every day, and our heart becomes alive with his love. So the Webster sense of the word religious, relating to or manifesting faithful devotion to an acknowledged ultimate deity or reality or relating to a devoted religious beliefs or observances. So in a Webster sense, yes, we are religious. But religion, as I've been explaining, makes us feel like it's all about us doing stuff to try to get to God. And we're not doing that. The key verse that we're using for this whole series, and we're going to be weaving it into our sermons for the next five weeks, is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And this is really how we kind of set our whole approach. Our approach isn't just to be religious. Our approach, is, our approach is to encounter Jesus and receive and enjoy all that he's done for us. And this verse kind of sets it up for us, okay? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Another version says, we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. It starts with God. It doesn't start with us working to try to get him to like us or to love us or to forgive us. It starts with God. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Now, we receive that gift that he's done and all the work he's done. We receive it by faith. But he did the heavy lifting. But if you're not careful, you'll put verse 10 in front of verse 8. For it is by God's handiwork we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works before, which God prepared in advance. So we're God's handiwork. We're his masterpiece. You know, you could lean over and tell your neighbor, you're a piece of work. Somebody had too much fun with that. Neighbor, you're a piece of work. But yes, we are workmanship. We are a masterpiece that God's using and using us to change the world and to tell people about his goodness and his love. Yes, but it doesn't start with that. It starts with receiving his grace and becoming alive to all that he's done. It starts there, and then we do good works. Sometimes we want to put the cart in front of the horse and just do good works, do good works, do good works. But this is so important to me because if we're not careful, we will work ourselves to death. We'll work ourselves to death just trying to get God to like us. Like me, God. Like me, like me, like me. He gave the very best of heaven because he loves you. And there's nothing you could do or not do that would make him love you any more or any less. He loves you. He's crazy about you. So we see here in this verse that it's about his grace that we've been saved. And so with that being said, we're going to pick up into the main text today, unpack a couple things, and I'm going to explain this idea to you. Do work yourself to death. I remember when I was a kid and it was hot in the summertime. You know how muggy it gets in North Carolina, triple digits and like a ton of humidity. 
And I remember my grandma, I remember my mom, I remember anybody that's probably over 50 and they're Southern will say this. Don't work yourself to death. You know, you've heard that. Well, in this case, do work yourself to death. And I'm going to unpack that idea. Here we go. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. This is right after those verses I just read to you in Matthew about the vision of the church. Do these good works and let people see your light on a stand so that they glorify your Father in heaven. So wait a minute. We're supposed to do good works. That's right. But we do it from a relationship with Jesus, being empowered by him. Here we go. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord was teaching and or Jesus was teaching and explaining this to a large multitude. And he was really breaking down. Hey, a lot of you guys are Jewish in the, in, in this, on this mountainside. And you've talked about the law and the prophets and all this Old Testament, Old Covenant way of having a relationship with God. Now he's saying it's different. It's a new covenant. It's different. And here we go. That's where we pick up with verse 17. Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys the law and teaches them to be called great will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, this is the pay dirt, the really important verse we're going to focus on. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's all sorts of context there that we got to understand a little bit of just so we get what he's talking about. You've got religious teachers of the law. You've got Pharisees. And so what does that mean? We don't use words like that today. You're right. Think about it this way. Remember Moses, Moses in the Old Testament? Here's all these people from Father Abraham, had many sons. If you grew up in church, you know all these people. God chose Abraham. It became a people group called the Israelites. They ran away from the Lord. They ended up in captivity, all this stuff. And God raises up Moses to go deliver his people. Pharaoh, let my people go. Does that. Brings them out of Egypt. They wander around the desert. The Lord takes Moses up to a mountainside and gives them the law, gives them Ten Commandments. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. Have no gods before me. Um, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Right? There's so many, right? There's ten. It's 10, just 10. But by the time you fast forward several thousand years to where we're picking up right here, that 10 became 613. The rules had rules that had rules so that you would have to break the rule so you wouldn't break the real rule. The laws had laws. Like what? They had fences. They built fences around the law so you wouldn't break the law. And the intentions were pure. We want to follow the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. Keep his law. But it's all these rules. And so here Jesus is in verse 20. He said, but I'll warn you, unless your righteousness, what does righteousness mean? Right standing with God. Unless your right standing with God, unless your righteousness of the, is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing we see here is that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to do away with the Ten Commandments. He just came to fulfill the law. So we get that. 
we do have a standard. This isn't some reckless thing. We're just going to live our life however we want. We know that from Scripture, that's the primary way that we know God, and that's the primary way we know God's best for our life. If we'll do his words, read his words, and put them in practice in our life, that's God's best for your life, for your purpose, for your marriage, for how to raise your kids. God's word sets the standard for the best way to live life. But it doesn't just stop there. So we don't live reckless. We don't do life however we want to do. We've got this standard. We've got these laws. He didn't abolish them, but he doesn't just leave them there. He takes it to a whole nother place. But we see that we've got to keep the law better than the professionals are keeping it. That sounds impossible. And if you think that's bad, if you go to verse 20 through the rest of this chapter, he's talking about, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say that if you commit adultery in your heart just by looking at a woman or having a lustful thought, you've already done it. I say, you've heard it said, do not kill. But Jesus says, if you have an ill will thought in your mind of anger towards someone, then you've already broke the law in your heart. So it's not about, he takes it from behavior modification, don't do these things, to a whole different thing internally in our heart that nobody knows about, that nobody can see except the Lord. He raises the standard. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, that sounds pretty daggone impossible to me. How in the world are we going to do this, Jesus? You just talked about our righteousness. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got to be better than the professional law keepers. How are we going to do this? Well, the standard's been raised, but Jesus was that standard. He lived a perfect, blameless law life, completely fulfilling the law. He was perfect. He was blameless. He did what we should have done, and he did it in our place. So here you go, right here. Here's the flaw with the law, okay? Here's the flaw with the law, if you're taking notes, write this down. The flaw with the law is this, is that it gives us a sense that if we work really hard, we can achieve it. It makes us almost feel like it, it's impossible, but it deceives us. Well, I'm doing good. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't chip. I don't do or whatever. And I don't mess with people that do. I remember hearing that as a kid. It's like, just don't do these things. Don't do these things. Don't sin. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't do that, all right? So we start to feel like we're a good person. We start to feel like we're righteous. Well, I don't cheat on my taxes. I haven't killed anybody today. I'm a pretty good person. That should be good enough to get me into heaven. But that's not the standard. Being a good person's not the standard. And who's going to grade our paper? Us? Yeah, I'm going to let me in, Lord. No, the law is a great tutor. It points out our need for a savior. You know, it points out the need. So the law is a good tutor, but it's not the solution. Jesus is the solution. He is. It's that simple. He is the solution. But the flaw with the law is that we're close enough. Well, I kept the Sabbath. I'm a good person. I help people occasionally. I'm a good person. Every Christmas, I throw a couple dollars into the Salvation Army bucket when they ring the bell. I'm a good person. And then we start to feel like we're okay. But here's the other side of that. Here's the other flaw with the law. When we get it wrong, when we know we do something wrong and we feel the conviction in our heart, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. I feel like such a 
goofball. I shouldn't have done that. I messed up. I've blown it. I've messed up my life. Condemnation comes in and just lies and tells you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You've blown it. You've messed up. God can't use you now. Look at you. And we hide and we pull back and we separate. Adam and Eve in the garden, don't eat that fruit. What do they do? Eat the fruit. What do they do after that? They go hide. They go hide. They try to hide from God. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. We can't hide when we mess up. We can't stay down when we mess up. We've got a God that loves us so much that when we mess up, he doesn't even look at us and see our mistakes. The whole thing I've been trying to tell you today, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with the creator of the universe through his son, Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I've been in a relationship and I'm in one, it started out at different levels. At first it was, let's put on my best first date. First dates are a lie. If you're single and dating, let me just let you know first dates are a lie. That is not who you're going to be marrying. That's their very best. Their hair is perfect. Their breath is fresh. They're looking sharp. That's a lie. It's like a character of the best version of them, okay? But when you're in love with somebody and you begin a relationship with them, you get past all of that and you start to see the real them. Well, that's what happens with us, with God. He knows the real us. Our thoughts, when we mess up, when we get it right, but when we do people wrong, when we do it wrong, he knows all of it. And he still loves us and sees us as the righteousness of Jesus. That's why it's a relationship. It covers his grace and his love covers all of our mistakes. And we can have an intimate, close, personal relationship where the God of the universe knows you, knows what you're going through, and doesn't reject you, but he loves you and says, come on closer. Come on closer. I got good things for you to walk in and to do. But, man, we got to get to a place where we work ourselves to death, and I give up on working and striving to be a good person, and I'm just going to give up on do, 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 try to harder, try harder, try harder. I quit. I've worked myself to death, and I'm going to die to myself righteousness. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to just trying my best to be a good person and hope that gets me into heaven. That will always leave you short. We got to die to that so that we can become alive in Christ and fully receive what he did for us on the cross. That's what this is all about. So yes, do work yourself to death. That's what I hope happens to every one of us. So let me give you one point. I know most preachers will give you three points in a point, but I'm not most preachers. I got one point. God's grace gives us life. And if you leave here with nothing else, know that God's grace will give you life, life for eternity in heaven with the Father. I was so nervous about the day we've worked so hard, but the truth is none of this today matters. The only thing that matters today is what's going to last in 100 years, and that's eternity. So if the band will come on up, God's grace gives life. Religion, like I mentioned a while ago, will try to kill us. Where when we mess up, condemnation comes in and we just quit. That was me around the age of 15. I tried hard to be a good kid, to do things right, go to church, do all that. But around 15, I came to this place of, I'm trying my very best and I feel like I'm still going to go to hell. I might as well go to hell on a scholarship. And that was my strategy for a good five years. 
if I'm going there anyway, anyway, I might as well have a good time. And I'm telling you, that law, that religious, just I sucked the life out of my walk with the Lord until I gave up. So religion kills and condemnation comes in and helps us, makes us want to separate ourselves from God because ultimately we don't measure up. But it's not about that. It's about Jesus. Here you go. Jesus was perfect, so you don't have to be. That'll set you free. That's worth the price of driving over to Carroll Middle School right there. Jesus was perfect, so you don't have to be. All you've got to do is at Ephesians 2.8, by grace through faith, we have received salvation. Man, just receive it, what he's done. Jesus is perfect, so you don't have to be. All we have to do to receive his salvation is just realize we repent. Man, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've blown it, and I'm going to receive what you've done for me. It's all you have to do. So let me give you a definition of the gospel. I would do this all the time with my college students because so many times people grow up in church and they're religious, and they think they're good. Yeah, 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 I believe that. They believe it with their mouths, but they've never really lived it with their hearts. Just never lived it with their hearts, and it's so life-giving. And if you feel dead today, well, you can fix that before you leave here. You really can. So here's my definition of the gospel. I stole this from somebody probably seven years ago, and I just loved it and just held on to it. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived. He was completely perfect, completely fulfilled the law. Okay, so he lived the life we should have lived, and then he died the death that we should have died. He did it in our place. Why should we die a death? Because the wages of sin is death. When me and you were born into it, and you, I'm convinced, man, that we're born with a sin nature. I didn't have to teach my daughter to lie. Little cute Charlotte, as cute as she is, the other day just tried to hit me. I didn't have to teach her anger. I'm like, girl, you better not hit me. I didn't have to teach her that she was born with it. As cute as she is, pigtails and all, man, that girl's sinful. I didn't have to teach her to be selfish. That's my juice, daddy. No. And her limited vocabulary, she's putting it on me. No, daddy, it's mine. No one had to teach this girl to be sinful. But the wages of sin is death because we're separated from God. Sin separates us. So Jesus lived the life we should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died. And he did it in our place. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He rose from the dead, proving that he's the son of God. About every decade, you see some quack claim to be God. And they'll drink Kool-Aid and they'll kill a bunch of people. Why? Because they ain't God. But Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and he proved it by dying and raising from the grave. Anybody can claim to be God, but when you raise from the grave, he validated his claim that he was God. And now he offers the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sin to everyone that would repent and believe in him. So, friends, that's why we're here right here. Yes, we're launching a new church, but the most important thing today that's going to matter for eternity is about you not being religious, but having a relationship with Jesus by grace through faith. 
So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Maybe you've never had the chance to pray that. And I'm going to do my very best to take anything weird out of this moment for you. This moment only matters for you and God. Doesn't matter about the person beside you. Doesn't matter about me. Doesn't matter about April. It just matters about you and God. And I'm going to say a prayer that you can repeat. And there's nothing spooky. There's nothing magical about this prayer. All it is is just saying, I'm done trying to be religious. I'm going to die to my works. I'm going to die to myself. I've done work myself to death trying to be a good person. And I give up. I'm going to receive what Jesus has done. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We'll all stand up. We'll close our eyes. We'll pray that prayer. We're going to close our eyes, not because that's the time where we're going to grab your person and run. No, we're going to close our eyes so that no one else matters, nothing else beside me or whatever matters. And I'm believing that when we close our eyes and we get our heart quiet, that God's going to speak to you. And he's going, you're going to feel something inside of you. Say, I need that. I need that. I don't have that, and I need that. I don't have eternal life, and I need that. I've been trying to be a good person. I've been trying, but I've been failing, and I've even given up. I need what Jesus has done. And you'll have a chance to pray that. You can slip your hand up, and we're going to pray for us, all right? So if you will, stand up on your feet. And there's probably two people in this room. One person's probably like, man, I've never, ever even heard that, let alone prayed that. And I know I need that and I want that. What do I have to do to get salvation? I want it. And the other person, maybe you prayed that a long time ago. Maybe you prayed it when you were a kid. Maybe you prayed it when you were in college. Maybe you prayed it. Or maybe you heard your grandma pray it. But it never, it's just dead. You just feel like, man, I'm so far away from God. I don't go to church. I don't really follow him. I can't tell you last time I prayed. I can't tell you last time I read my Bible. Hey, you're okay. You're okay. God loves you. He's going to meet you halfway. He's going to meet you more than halfway. You know what repentance is? It simply means just turning. Maybe you've been running in this direction away from God, and all you have to do is just turn. And as soon as you turn, God's not far away. He's right here. He's right. Oh, I love you. I've been waiting for you. Come on. So let's pray. Every eye closed. And you say, hey, man, I need, I need, I need Jesus in my life. And I'm done trying to just earn his love and affection by my good works. And I want to receive what he's done. And I want to follow him with everything in my life. Every eye's closed. Every head's bowed. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I don't want you to do it alone. Thank you. And just wave your hand just a little bit, man. These lights are so bright, and I want to make sure I pray for everyone. All right, awesome, awesome. God bless you, man. That's so cool. Come on, church. This is amazing. God is just touching people and helping people. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And you just repeat the simple prayer after me, okay? Here we go. Dear Jesus, and, and you know, the whole church, let's say this together, all right? For those who are praying this for the first time, let's just say it with them, okay? Repeat after me, church. Dear Jesus... Forgive me of my sins and forgive me of just trying to do it myself. I can't earn salvation. So I'm turning from my sins and I'm turning towards you. Help me to follow you with all that I've got. I want to spend my rest of my days following you. 
I believe that you're the Lord and that you love me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.